When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another Realm Media, exploring the unknown, where mystery meets reality. Are you ready to embark on a journey through space and time? Introducing the Psychic Sleep Hour with Santosh, the ultimate experience in relaxation and exploration. With Yoga Nidra practices, you'll be transported to a world beyond your imagination. Each episode takes you on a unique journey, exploring the vastness of the universe and the depths of your own consciousness. As you listen, you'll feel yourself drifting away from the stresses of daily life as you delve deeper into a state of complete relaxation. You'll feel your body and mind melting away as you become more and more immersed in the practice. I'm Santosh, and I will be your guide on this journey, leading you through a series of calming visualizations and meditative practices, helping you to access a state of deep relaxation and heightened awareness. You'll awaken your senses, expand your mind, and unlock the full potential of your consciousness. So, Whether you're an experienced yogi or a complete novice, join us on this incredible journey through space and time. Psychic Sleep Hour with Santosh is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today and begin your journey towards ultimate relaxation and exploration. A day. And welcome everybody to the first ever live episode of the Convergence Enigma with Josh and Stefan. Wow. Um, yeah, what's up, people? <laughs> uh, you know, I think that uh, probably everybody's been asking about when the show is going to be back. Uh, we've been retooling some things, redoing some things. And so this is one of the things that we're doing new for this season and hopefully for seasons to come is doing more or if not all live shows. 
So, um, and if you're listening to the podcast version, not live. Yeah, not well. It's live for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, so Josh Rutledge again for those who may be newly listening, you've never listened to it before. Uh, co-host uh, Stefan Gearhart, and today we're joined by special guest Shane Hurd, um, and we're going to be, you know, getting into a little bit more about what Shane's into. Uh, a little bit more about what the podcast is now going to be looking into with this new season uh, in just a little bit. So stick around. So, Stefan, it's been like six months since the last episode that we did last year. It was like yeah, I'm a little, last year. I'm tired. <laughs> I guess it's been longer than six months, really, like seven months now. I don't know. I don't know, but, but, it's, but it's good to be back. It is good to be back, man. And uh, my birthday's on Sunday, so if anybody wants to give me a super tip, you can do that for my birthday. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, no, it's been, it's been relaxing. It's been good. It's been giving us uh, time to work on some things. We are still looking at, uh, you know, the Convergence Enigma, um, Dark Appalachia for Dark down Appalachia. the road, yep. looking at that for a video series. So I'm really excited about that. Um, some other things in the pipeline. Uh, it's been great. We've been hanging with Shade a whole bunch uh, since we're all out here in Phoenix. Yeah. That's That's been a blast. And just a reminder, guys, Shane's part of the ERT uh, with MUFON and wrote this amazing book, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. You want to get this a beginner's guide to researching UFOs. Mine's, I was telling Shane, my copy is all wore out now. It's all like got bendies and, and everything like that. So, well, you probably keep it in the bathroom with you, and so it's got that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so if anybody wants to borrow it, it's bathroom ready. <laughs> you know, since, <laughs> since the introduction of the smartphone, right? There's no more like stacks of magazines in the bathroom anymore. So. There's always that one person that still has the bathroom reader, you know, right. that, that's in there. It's just filled with dad jokes. <laughs> or Reader's Digest. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, Shane Hurd, our guest, our friend uh, here with us today. The, the format of the podcast is shifting a little bit to looking, instead of looking at convergences of the phenomena, so looking at when UFOs occur, Sasquatch also occurs, and ghosts, instead of looking strictly at that aspect, we really want to look at the convergence between the phenomena and the observer. So what does it mean for the person who has the experience? Uh, how does it change them? You know, are they in some kind of weird life path at the moment, and having that experience <laughs> shifts their direction. Um, so that's the direction we wanted to take. And so for our very first episode of the season, it made the most sense to have Mr. Shane heard on from ERT with MUFON. So Shane, do you want to give us a little bit about what ERT is and what you, what you do with it? Yeah, absolutely. So when, um, <clears throat> when people see a UFO, they can make a report to MUFON.com. And when they do that, uh, an investigator is signed and they investigate that sighting and they in you know an investigation can be fairly uh you know obtrusive right you're you're gathering facts you're you're interviewing the witness you're clarifying details uh you're trying to relate 
their narrative to the evidence that you might have, whether it's photo or video, physical evidence, any of those things. Um, so it's and, and then in the end of the investigation and through a process of elimination, you try and make a determination as to the disposition of the case. Is it known? Is it unknown? That kind of thing. However, um, there's a, a, another piece to MUFON, and in particular, as you mentioned, the experiencer resource team. And uh, the role of the ERT is to really... I, I would say you could call it sort of like the compassion side of MUFON and the experience. Mm. So when someone um, either has both a UFO and an experience, uh, contact experience, they can make that report and it, it kind of gets split in two. And the, uh, an investigator does the, the UFO side and then an ERT member deals with the person and what they're going through. So. What ERT offers is really a, a non-judgmental hearing ear about that person's experience. Mm -hmm. And for many people, getting that off their chest to somebody right. who's not yeah. judging them may be all that they need, you know. Yeah. But other people's experience may range into the territory of, you know, traumatic. And they oh, might yeah. need even more assistance than that. And so the ERT uh, can connect them with um, healthcare providers, for example, uh, uh, hypnotherapists, uh, you know, therapy groups, that kind of thing. Uh, if they need more support than simply, you know, this, this conversation. So um, that's really what we're talking about is the compassionate side and helping them cope with you know the experience that they've had with no, right. no judgmentalism i'm not trying to verify it really happened or not none of that it's just right. simply what happened how do you feel about it and how can i help you but i think that uh now that's that's fantastic uh and i i wonder how um the so on the strictly siding side of the house the investigator that picks that up is trying to rule out mundane or prosaic things right um if so like a, a field investigator similar right. absolutely right. Mm -hmm. um but the on the contact potential contact side of the house you are not trying to rule anything out you're not trying to figure it out what it is or whatever you're just providing like you said an ear to listen to and if they need somebody to talk to a resource to do that exactly yep yep and you um, can see the awesome. logic in that right because Mm -hmm. Um, you know, many contact or, um, abduction, even mm -hmm. other experiences are extremely personal and they're often, mm -hmm. um, only experienced by that person. There, there is no opportunity for corroboration now, unless they've kind of set something up like cameras right. and things like that. But, you sure. know, people typically don't do that. So, <laughs> it, you know, it happens in an unexpected way. Um, even if they've had other experiences, you just, you know, it's like a UFO. You, you can't tell when it's going to show up, right? Yeah, so, I was going like, to say, you can't plan for that. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, you would have to have cameras yeah, set up every hour of every day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, and who has the time to sit there and go through that footage? So, oh, exactly. That's the, yeah, that, yeah. That's the part people don't think about, huh? Right. How long it takes you to find it? Eight hours, you know, for a two second, 
you know yeah tom tom delong needs to release his ai stuff that you know looks for things in video software Mm. they just need to release that and everybody else can take advantage of it yeah for a low, low price of $599. (laughs) I know on, on a a hilarious side, I always laugh ERT because I always want to call it the ERT team, just like a, a like an ATM (laughs) machine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We love our acronyms, don't we? (laughs) Yep. But no, I love it. That's and and it's, it's great because that's one of the things that the show is going to be talking to people about is a place to go and ERT it, I almost said ERT team again. The ERT is exactly where we would want to send people first. And it's so great that there is a place for people to go um, right off the bat because that hasn't always been the case. It, it was, uh, wasn't it Kathleen Martin? Didn't she create this team originally? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And incidentally, in case people don't know, that's Betty and Barney Hill's niece. Right. who was a teenager during their experience in 1961 and had that whole, f- and people don't realize that ended up affecting their whole family. They had yeah. other encounters. They had other things happen. So yeah, we um, had Kathleen on the show a couple of times nice. and she's talked about how she's had her own experiences. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, almost like there's a familial connection where everybody in the family is, you know, kind of being tapped on the shoulder, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, I don't know if you want to get into this a little bit, but on the ERT side, when someone does uh, make a report to, to move on on the ERT, they're asked to fill out like a 25 question uh, questionnaire. And um, it what it does, it helps determine the, the, the questionnaire came as a result of uh, various studies on, on um, you know, abduction and contactees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as and I'm talking like, you know, like the free study. And, you know, there's, I don't know, 6,000 people or something. It was, it right. was a huge study. The one that John um, Mack was a part of? Yeah. And, yeah. They, and they, these questions are designed to... Um, pick up on what has been uh, noticed as trends or commonalities in in different contact experiences. Mm-hmm. And so for let me just throw a couple out. So like, obviously, missing time, right? right. Missing time is not every time, but often a factor. Or mm-hmm. um, another big one is NDEs, near death experiences. Mm-hmm. Sometimes contactees, you know, have, have undergone that and that yeah. that triggered their experiences or or more uh, obscure things like, you know, nosebleeds or do you have, you know, uh, uh, you know, irrational fears of a location or something. Or, right. And, you know, just these series of things that help um, help the ERT understand this person's experience and help that that person right. as well. And uh, so it, it's. You know, there's there is there is uh, I'll say there is qualitative analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, it's an act of compassion, and and that person, right. you know, that's that's the goal, hundred percent. But there is some qualitative analysis that goes on in collecting this data to better help people when they when they have these experiences and that's right that's exactly the, the the role that uh mufon's assuming in that case well and i mean you know that qualitative data um although i'm sure it helps somebody 
after all the events have been kind of collected and, and looked at. I'm sure in the moment, though, it can be beneficial. Um, you know, sometimes we uh, look past certain things uh, in, in, in what, what I classify as the mundane world, right? Just kind of the everyday activities that we do. And we just kind of write them off as like, oh, th this is new, you know, but, you know, it's just, just like, you know, like you say, like all of a sudden you have a fear of flying. You know, you've never had a fear of flying before, but all of a sudden, you know, within the last six months or year or two years, you have a fear of flying. If you're 37 years old, you know, that usually doesn't just crop up. So there's probably some underlying something that happened. And it may not necessarily be related to, you know, contact or whatever, but it's still worth noting yeah. that, you know, like you said, to be able to paint a, a bigger picture of potentially what's going on for this individual. Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> so I do have a, a, a few more follow-up questions and I want to get into those in just a little bit, but um, at the behest of uh, several of our listeners, we are bringing back a couple of segments. Um, we used to do quite a few segments and we're bringing back um, spooky news and psychic word of the week. And so, um, <laughs> And, and, and depending on how those go and how they're received, we may work in some other uh, segments as well. I hopefully, hopefully not cryptid of the week. Hopefully not. Oh, no, uh, it, it needs to. Uh, but Josh, I did want to remind people too. one of the things that we are doing is we're taking your stories. We want your stories of the paranormal of uh, just because we're talking to Shane and he's part of the ERT doesn't mean we only are looking for abduction right. stories, you know, or contact stories. We're we're looking for all if you've seen a ghost, if you've seen a Bigfoot, if you've seen any of those things, you can send those to us contact at the convergence You can do that now. You can put it in the comments you can message us or or anything we're, we're looking for those so we can share those uh with people okay yep and just you know also you know when you give your experience we'd also like to know how it affected you so if you're mm -hmm. if you're not willing or, or want to participate in a live type of engagement like this which you're certainly welcome to do but if you don't want to you, know, you just want to send those stories in the most important thing we want to understand is is okay you saw a ghost how did that affect you um, you know, what, what was going on in your life at the time or how has your life changed uh, since having that experience? That's really what we're trying to get to is, is what effect these convergence of phenomenon observer has on the observer. So thanks for that, Stefan. Yep. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into our first segment, Psychic Word of the Week. And now, the Psychic Word. Of the week. That's right. We are back with Psychic Word of the Week. Psychic Word of the Week is brought to you by the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear. I still miss you, even though I never knew you. Um, so this week's word, um, I flipped through the pages and I landed on page 285 and I uh, came across a very interesting term called the hologram brain theory. Now, immediately I'm thinking Matrix, right? Because... Right matrix but this was written back in the 80s so um <laughs> the matrix wasn't around yet what, let me see real quick when this coming 1986 is when this 
encyclopedic psychic dictionary came out. But check this out. Here's what this has to say. This comes from uh, someone named Carl Pribram. Uh, it says, each part of a living entity essentially represents the whole entity continuing throughout nature. Each part is completely intertwined with the entire thing to which it belongs, having characteristics of the whole thing. So, for example, a leaf represents the whole tree. The foot represents the whole body. Therefore, the brain represents the entire universe the brain is a hologram interpreting a holographic universe the brain mathematically constructs what one knows as reality by interpreting frequencies of the cosmos and gives it to one in a third dimensional manifestation to perceive and manipulate a meaningfully patterned primary reality transcending time and space yeah so uh that's actually yeah, that's that's not a so that, you know it's a nineteen eighty six book. Presumably, the concept is predates the book being you know penned and and, and published. Um, but I've heard of you know the whole idea that um, it, it's really like quantum entanglement is I think what the the basis of what, what it's being discussed there. And then the other idea of uh, a holographic universe. I've heard that discussed mm -hmm. as well. In fact. Um, What's the guy, uh, uh, the physicist that recently died? He was restricted Re to wheelchair. Recently? Oh, Hawkins. Hawking. Hawking. I mean, he talked about the holographic Hawking universe quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, very interesting that it made it into a psychic book because it's uh, very much based in today's world. It's based in science. But we've talked about how, you know, magic is just science we don't understand yet or vice versa. So. Well, yeah, I mean, look at that. This this would be the new age theory of the 80s, right, is now right. the science of today, right, is is, is just absolutely yep. fascinating. That's why I wish that she, the author hadn't passed away. I'd love to have seen her continuously to do updates yep. on this uh, encyclopedia. I, I don't I don't remember when she passed. I know my copy is a first edition copy. So I know there were more editions that came out, but I don't know how updated they were. But um, absolutely fascinating. Um, the stuff that's in here, but especially that hologram brain theory. And I love that whole idea that um, because a leaf represents a tree, and uh, a leg represents a body, therefore the brain represents the universe. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It was like, what a leap. Yeah. Definitely a leaf in the right direction. But you know, oh. it it's also speaks to um, the prominence of the um, interpretation now of consciousness and how, right. how broad yeah. that, it, that it is and, and that how there's, there is a connection to everything and mm -hmm. interestingly, as you brought up, quantum mechanics is is headed right down that very same path. Yeah. Um, you know, because of the evidence that's coming forth. So I love that statement, Stefan. Uh, you know, yesterday's um, you know new age beliefs have become today's science. science so, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it, it, well, even it, then, it's, it's like you're. Yeah. Even then, all yeah, the all this stuff. Yeah, all the interconnected stuff is all very Buddhism, too. So it's like, mm -hmm, you know, yeah. the old, 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 old New Age is now the yeah. science of today. Good point. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, so very cool. Uh, thank you for that, Stefan. Um, thank you, June G. Bletzer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm telling you, we got to do a seance. We got to call her in and then <laughs> if she has an update from beyond. So, right. 
Or Anyways. if anybody, if she has any kids, if anybody knows, I, right. I, I maybe, still want to talk. Maybe she's got more stuff. That she wrote down somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Where's the estate stuff? So yeah. Where's the estate stuff? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into the next segment. Uh, spooky news. All right. Spooky news is always one of my favorites. And this is a goodie. This story that I found, um, it, it was making the rounds like crazy a few weeks ago. And that's why I've held on to it. Cause we weren't online at the time. So, but, uh, Linda Moulton, Howe, she's jumping through the roof over the story, uh, which was six cattle found dead in three Texas counties, all with their tongues missing. So we had some cattle mutilations, uh, in three separate, Texas counties. Uh, there was no signs of struggle. There was no blood spills, no noticeable tracks. Authorities in Texas have little to go on in their investigation after six cattle were found dead in three separate counties, all with their tongues missing. Uh, the Madison County Sheriff's Office posted about the cattle on social media on Wednesday. Uh, the first instance was reported after a rancher found a six-year-old longhorn cross cow dead and mutilated, and that's in quotations, uh, according to the deputies. The cow was found lying on its side, its tongue and the hide around its mouth completely removed, but there was no blood anywhere. There was no, also no signs of a struggle. The grass around the cow was undisturbed when it was found, and there were no footprints or tire tracks. Ranchers also reported that no predators or birds would scavenge the remains of the cow afterwards, leaving it to decay untouched for several weeks, the sheriff's office said in a statement. Uh, as authorities were investigating the mysterious cow's death, five other instances were reported in two other counties, Brazos and Robertson. Four adult cows and one yearling were found dead, all in different locations, pastures and herds, the exact same way all the cows were found lying on their sides uh, with precise cuts along their jaw lines their tongues missing and there were also cuts made along two of the five cows genitalia again there was no signs of struggle undisturbed grass no blood spilled the cause of death for all six cows is still unknown uh, multiple similar incidents have been reported across the United States, and we're actively coordinating with other agencies to find answers, said the sheriff's office. Anyone with more information on these incidents or if someone witnesses a similar circumstance is urged to contact Investigator Foster uh, at 936-348-2755 during business hours. So <laughs> they made sure to put, put their that. phone number out for everyone. Yep. <laughs> So they put it on the article, though, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, I was, that's the only reason I read it. Yeah. But, yeah, if you've got any information, that's where to send it to. I mean, it, it, it seems like it's been a little bit since we've heard about a new catalog mutilation story. Yeah, same. You know, you assume that they just don't get reported anymore, but here's – here here's a story, and it made national news. I mean, it was all over the place. The day that it – now, granted – my social media is filled with paranormal junkies. So, <laughs> you know, maybe that's cheating, but I mean, it was like, everybody was talking about it. my dad was talking about it. <laughs> Shane, does that, does, does MUFON have the, a place on the questionnaire to report, you know, mutilation? Oh yeah. I, I investig investigated a, a cattle mutilation case. In fact, I got a couple pictures if you want to see them right now. Um, oh yeah, li lit literally <laughs> about three miles from my house, and I live, as you guys know, on the yeah. northern outskirts of of Phoenix. So it's pretty rural where I'm at, and uh, the case got assigned to me. So I'm going to show you first of all uh, the one picture here. Let's see if that so let's comes see. across just, very well. Everybody, this may be graphic. So yeah, a little slightly graphic. 
Oh, wow. So obviously the head was missing and there is... uh, Just dried out. Yeah. And then let me give you the second picture. Um, So I got a little story about it too, if you want to hear. Sure. Yes, please. Okay. So these, this couple were hiking. Okay. Anyways, they were hiking and they came across this. And in the state of Arizona, if you, uh, you know, have the death of livestock, you're supposed to contact um, the sheriff's department and the department of agriculture. So I got this case assigned to me. I met with the, the people. We went out to the site. They showed me where it was. Um, and then, uh, you know, I thanked them and everything. And then um, they left. And then I cordoned off the whole site. I used, you know, caution tape and rebar mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And, and you know, began to prepare my investigation. And um, the sheriff's department came out. And, you know, I was armed because, you know, it's the desert, it's Arizona and, right. you know, there's, there's stuff out there and you kind of need to make sure you're prepared. So anyways, I was armed, I uh, had, had my pistol on my, you know, in a holster on my, on my belt and stuff. And the, the officers came out and they were kind of like, Whoa, what the heck's going on? Here? What, are what are you doing? And they right. were all Im- impressed with my, 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 uh, the, the crime scene basically. Yeah. <laughs> A shout out to MUFON Field Investigator Training, right? So, <laughs> and um, had a couple cameras that were filming everything, and I filmed everything uh, as I went through. Uh, and in, uh, in a nutshell, that the analysis was that um, it was unknown. I couldn't tell what happened. Now there were obvious, uh, you know, abnormalities with it. So the missing head. So, like, um, you know animals are typically not going to drag that just a head off, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and I did, uh, basically, a, a hundred yard or 200 yard sweep circular, you know, kind of in a spiral pattern, how we're trained to do yep. uh, around that area to see if I could find anything, any bones or any other parts that, you know, might've been missing. Right. Um, and I couldn't find a thing. Uh, so again, process of elimination. I mean, it certainly could have been predation. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, it was at least a month old and it was getting pretty warm at that time. It was springtime and it's just really hard, but it, it also had a, a cactus, um, um, oh gosh, what did I say? You, you could see it in the legs to, to, um, saguaro cactus, um, trunk it was a trunk of a a cactus and and but it did not um there was no root for that around there it's like it's not like what what i determined it wasn't that this cow got tangled up in the cactus and somehow died right Right. there was not bad at all um and you could tell that that there were incision like cuts around the the genitalia area however the the whole inside was was cleaned out there and there were bite marks and stuff there so there was some predation yeah. but um you know as to really what happened you know you just can't tell and i right. and, and i feel the frustration of these uh investigators now you know mm-hmm. we're all aware linda moulton howe you know brought this you know to uh the, this phenomena kind of to the fore late 70s i think and um, you know it spans across the, the 
the country and the, these things occur pretty regularly, but there's such precious little evidence. Um, and you know, this case was going to be harder just because of the age and the location, right. but, you know, in some cases they have like snow, right. And, and there's no marks in the snow or, you know, in the mud and there's no marks and just, right. it, so it really is dependent on the evidence that's left there. But that was my first and only, um, you know, uh, cattle mutilation case. Um, and it was uh, really fascinating to go through the process and I enjoyed speaking with, you know, the police officers or the sheriff, the deputies and um, the guy from, um, you know, Department of um, Agriculture that, that came out. And they were of the opinion that they said, well, you know, we can't tell either. It's just, it looks like it's been right. out here for too long to really get, gather much data about it, but that their guess would be predation, of course. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's kind of fascinating. And, and again, it's in an area where there is often reports of, of lights in the sky. Yeah. There is helicopter activity and other things here in this valley that I live in. So, um, you know, who knows? But yeah. still very interesting and a current phenomena that's been in place for decades. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's really, it's, um, this is common to happen in Kentucky. I don't know if it happens out here or not, but in Kentucky, where I'm originally from, um, uh, somebody will hit a deer on the side of the road, a buck. Uh, another person will stop and cut off the head so that they can get it uh, mounted, uh, like, you know, so they can have the, the, the antlers and all that kind of stuff presented. And I'm just, you know... I don't understand, you know, probably not the incisions to the genitalia and stuff like that, but you know, I would, <laughs> right. you know, if it was like a Texas longhorn or something, I could see somebody cutting off the head to have that, you know, just to have the horns or whatever. Yeah. And the scalp. Well, and everything, but I mean, you know? like, what about the story in Texas, though? I mean, the tongue, the tongue is yeah. what was taken. I mean, well, unless you're I, like got a hankering for cow tongue. My granddaddy loved cow tongue. So maybe mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just saying like you got to go to three different counties to get your cow tongue on. Plus, plus, there's a whole lot of other good meat there. Right? Yeah, other right, right. That'd be right. the last right. thing I would. Worry and you, about. you like drained it completely of blood too. You know, to wash it all down with, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really yeah. Like you said, Shane, it's a really interesting part of the phenomenon that, mm -hmm. um, that like from a strictly from a human's perspective, you know, I don't think you know we've come up with anything plausible as a reason why it, it could be happening yeah. it's you know it's just um because they don't they don't it's, it's not from a meeting perspective because they don't take other parts of the cow which they could eat um mm -hmm. you know whatever they are right from that perspective mm -hmm. uh yeah it's just a really weird aspect of the phenomenon uh yeah, almost almost feels um like a purpose uh throw you off the scent type thing like we're just going right. to go out and mutilate some cows. So they focus on that and they don't focus on this craft that landed in the valley the next door, you know, the next door over. Right. Wag, wagging the dog, so to right. speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So all of that off of uh, Spooky News. Good job, Stefan. Yeah. We'll that was interesting. Together. Cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, Still happening, folks. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Needless to say. Um, so, Shane, I wanted to jump back in a little bit into uh some ERT stuff um I was curious when you were talking about well, well first of all ERT used to have a different name uh 
it was i don't remember what it was called but it used to have a different name when kathleen started it and i remember she gave a speech about you know feeling like it's, it's, the new name fits it better for what it is but um do you remember what that old name used to be yeah it was uh experiencer research team okay instead mm, of right. resource. resource yeah yeah and and i make that distinction i think i kind of explained earlier you're yeah. going to research and investigate a ufo sighting we're not going to do that to somebody who, who had yeah. an experience yeah and and we're providing them resources so right. I, I understand why she made that change oh yeah for sure um well and it, and it definitely from a from an outside looking in perspective i i could see myself asking a resource team for help but a research team implies that you're some sort of a subject in an yeah. experiment right and so it kind of has a standoff which right and especially if you feel like you've already been a part of an experiment right, right? Yeah. like the last yeah. thing you want is to be again which is why most people are afraid to even share ufo sightings they're afraid they're gonna because of movies and things like that we're so afraid you know that we're gonna get shoved into a room and interrogated yeah. and you know yeah. things like that put into a, a plastic bubble uh next to an et because you're psychically linked to them um, <laughs> right while the government does experience you know <laughs> uh, drew barrymore screaming i'll call it to et over there so um <clears throat> the uh so one of the other things i wanted to ask is so you mentioned that if you do a contact uh, or rather you do the the form you have your uh your sighting plus contact and those are split off and two different teams uh, handle those things. Um, in a situation where the siding side of the house is trying to rule out mundane aspects, if they find something that falls into the mundane category, how is that also approached with the person who is also working with the resource team from a contact perspective? Yeah, no effect, no no relation, because again, we don't want to um, add to their trauma. Add, you know, we want to we want to help them. So, yeah, the and and again, just the nature of it. A UFO investigation typically produces some kind of evidence, and right. you can investigate it. And I always talk about the what, the where, and the when. Those three things. That's that's where data lives, right? We can gather that data. Right. You can quantify it. You can qualify it. Uh, now, the who and the why, that's, I mean, that's what we're really yeah. all looking for, but that's the hardest to, to get. Right. Whereas with an experiencer, it, it's much less about the what, where, and the when. Who cares? It's, right. you know, it's who and why. What happened? You know, what was my experience? So, right. They're just fundamentally two different experiences that, you know, can be intertwined, but the resolution for them is is a very different path, right? So I I I, I really think that Mufon made the right call in forming a team uh, known as the ERT, who who incidentally is not just investigators like me, but made up of, you know, healthcare professionals and other people, mm -hmm. nurses and you know, all sorts of things. Um, but what they also found was that uh, it was valuable to have an investigator involved if it's a dual case, right? So, the, uh, so it, if someone was straight UFO 
went to investigator being makes sense no no issue or if somebody had a contact experience only and that's very much so a lot of them that don't see a ufo don't you know none of that um that that should be a just a completely different path but uh what's tricky are the combos and so they wanted to have an investigator in each state or chapter that could handle both and so i volunteered for that trained for that and and was appointed that here for arizona i'm the i'm the the uh i, I might be the sole arizona investigator ert member uh here and i, I keep quite busy i i think yeah, i have that. maybe 10 cases at a time sometimes Going. Well, yeah, I, I feel like Arizona is a pretty big hotbed for that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of the the Western, um, really the Western U.S. I mean, even you know parts of California, uh, Nevada. You know, just you look at where where Skinwalker Ranch is located, right where Area Fifty One mm -hmm. is. It just it seems like there's an expectation even of this part of the country being more. Uh, active than other parts of the country, even though, as far as you know, population density, there's a lot less people. Mm -hmm. It's it's more concentrated here than it is a lot of other places in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in yep. fact, on uh, like with MUFON uh, cases, let's let's talk UFO cases. Um, you know, we do ten to twelve thousand a year, and the top five states are typically New York. Florida, Texas, California, and Arizona. Mm -hmm. And Arizona having the smallest pop population out of those, California, New York, Florida, pretty big as Texas as yeah, well. Right. Um, but, you know, there, I think that there's, you know, a variety of factors at play. Uh, you know, um, clearly UFOs have demonstrated an interest in all things nuclear. Right. So you're talking right. nuclear power plants. Uh, nuclear weapon systems, um, you know, uh, nuclear powered and nuclear weapon equipped uh, military system, all of these things. Um, and then in, in addition to that, I think there is the factor of like lifestyle. And what I mean is, you know, OK, there's a difference between the number of reports versus the number of experiences. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, uh, people, I've heard this figure. I disagree with it. But it's like one in 10 people actually make a report if they see a UFO. Hmm. So if we're doing 10,000 a year at MUFON, there's really 100,000, according to them. Hmm. However, I think that is way too low. And now just yep, think about my logic here. There's two factors. One, do I even want to make a report? Well, I'll bet you it's more like 99 out of 100 people are going to say no. Right, I don't even right. want to make a report. I don't even know if I really saw what I think I saw. And even though the taboo has been lifted in many ways, it's still not completely gone, right? Mm -hmm. People fear what their family or friends right. or their work will think, right? So uh, that's one factor. And the other factor is to whom do you make a report? That's what I, I was going to say. Yeah, your average person has no idea. I mean, there are many people who've never even heard of MUFON, and there there are very few places you can make a report. MUFON, right. New Fork, a few others, or you know, because back in the groups. day, back in the day, you just called the Air Force, right? That's yeah. what everybody did. They called the Air or the Force, local police department, <laughs> yeah, or the news. And, 
and people still do and it falls in a black hole right right so nothing happens so i you know at, at that rate at even one in a hundred and i'm even thinking that's not enough but if it is ten thousand reports times yeah. uh you now know we're in a million hundred now you're talking a million yeah. reports a year uh or potential reports experiences yeah. per year which well, i think is more realistic than i agree well, you know well and i'll say i mean i you know i, I have uh, I've have I have had experiences and I've made reports to MUFON, um, and some MUFON chapters are better about responding than others. And you know I'm a MUFON member, and I you know I wish I didn't have to say that, but I but I think I want to be honest with people. But you know in Kentucky I made reports and and never received an email, a call, anything. Um, made a report in Phoenix, and the next day somebody reached out. So yeah. I think that, you know, there is also if you have an experience and you make the report on MUFON or New Fork and you don't hear anything, if you have an experience again, you're probably not going to take the time to fill out the yeah. questionnaire, right? Yeah. Because why? Last time it didn't result in anything. So yeah. I think there's also people who are having multiple experiences, but only reported it once didn't hear anything mm -hmm. back or what they did hear back was it was an airplane or it was a satellite or it was Venus. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, they don't, they don't take the time to maybe submit again. So I think that, um, it's probably, you know, like you said, people just not wanting to because of the exposure, but also those who do want to not because they, they didn't get the response they were hoping or expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And it sometimes, um, you know, I, I have that experience as well is that somebody, um, you know, is is very uh, certain that what they saw was was anomalous. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, you do the investigation and when you do the investigation, you know, you're able to determine with a high degree of certainty that it was something prosaic and you tell them they're they're very disappointed yeah. and, and they're unhappy with that outcome. And yet there's nothing that we can do about that per right. se, other than, you know, um, make sure that we've done our due diligence as an investigator, that we document our uh, investigation and, mm -hmm. and our logic and why we came up with that, that disposition. But that always makes me feel bad when, when, yeah. when that happens, but, and you're right too, the chapters, you know, MUFON is an international organization. Uh, it's based in the United States, but we have an international branch and we have some 5,000 members worldwide or 4,000. And then, you know, at least 500 investigators and, you know, a couple hundred support personnel and, and so forth. And um, it's almost like a franchise in that the, there's individual <laughs> right. chapters uh, for local areas. Now, in Arizona, we... We have a single chapter, Arizona MUFON, for the entire state. Um, but there are other parts in the country that are severely underrepresented. And that's that's because all MUFON members, it's all volunteer. Nobody gets paid right. for anything. It's all at our personal expense, time, money, effort, everything. And so it, it can be difficult to get people to make the commitment, you know, to, to, to you know, see it through like it needs to be seen through. But... Um, it, the majority, you know, probably do, but I know that there are other areas where there's not a single 
um, chapter for a single state. Like some of the states back east, there'll be like three or four states, uh, three or oh, four states area <laughs> under one chapter, and they might only have two or three investigators. And so it, it's a challenge. But yeah, there's certainly no excuse in, in not responding. Um, I mean, every once in a while, some case gets lost or something like that. That can happen. But uh, for the most part, uh, I know in Arizona, we ha we have like up to 20 investigators for, for yeah. our state. And but we get, you know, uh, our average is well over 300 a year. So you're talking we almost get a sighting per day, you know, and it can take you a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month three months even to investigate a case, depending on the complexity. And, you know, uh, there's always a lot of challenge getting together with people, you know, and scheduling and all, all those things and the, then the research and blah, 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 all that. But so I'm not making excuses. I just want to say, yeah. kind of paint, paint the picture that it's, um, you know, it is a volunteer organization and it's understaffed like every other organization. Right. Um, uh, but we are trained and, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, supervision and uh, all of those things. So, um, you know, I, I apologize to anyone that's had a negative experience with MUFON. And, and all I can just say is, you know, we're people too and things happen. But for the most part, we take it very seriously and try to be as professional as possible. Yep. And you very much do. I, I, yeah. My own experience has been quite, quite that. Great. Good to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to – I hope it didn't sound like it was a negative way. I'm no, just... it did, Josh. It did. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No. No, I understand because, yeah, my, my Kentucky one fell under the radar. I actually got emailed in Kentucky, but when I emailed back, I never got a response. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely understand that, you know, people are – like you say, they're understaffed. Um, they, they they have day jobs, right? That they have to uh -huh. that they have to do in addition to whatever they're doing for MUFON. Um, so I completely get it. Um, I, I just I would say that for anybody who is uh, who has who has submitted to MUFON and didn't hear anything back, or if you submitted to MUFON and were told it's Venus or it was Starlink, um, you know, when I first got got started looking for stuff um i captured all kinds of things that turned out to be innocuous um and the best thing that i could do was you know show the video to somebody and say hey, you know i think that's the international space station and i'll look it up and sure enough it flew over at the same time right so um i added that then to my kind of tool belt if you will my, my batman utility belt of of uh the next time i experience something check to see if it's the international space station you know it's so perfect so each time that you get uh, a rejection so to speak it's mm -hmm. not necessarily a bad thing you just add that to your things that you need to check for and rule out mm -hmm. when you see something that way you'll know for sure if what you're seeing is you know extraterrestrial or a ufo or you know ball lightning or whatever the case may be because there are some pretty fantastic natural occurrences of things that a lot of people are just not aware of. And so you may catch something or see something with your eyes that really has a mundane um, explanation uh, that doesn't make it any more magic, any, any less magical, right? Because you still right. saw whatever it was, unless, in mm -hmm. fact, it is an airplane. 
and you just don't have your glasses on. And so it looked like it was, um, but, uh, you know, but there's some pretty amazing things that, that I've seen and found down our natural weather phenomena. Um, like lenticular clouds are freaking awesome. Um, mm -hmm. how they form and everything, but man, they look like a UFO disguised as a cloud. So uh, <laughs> you just gotta be, it helps to grow your understanding of what it's like in the world around you so that you can better when you do have something that you, that you see something and you make that report it's less likely to get ruled as a mundane thing because you've already done the pre-investigation almost mm -hmm. yeah i mean great job josh and that, what that's a great example is just basic critical thinking that seems to be lacking in society today and and that is you know a plus b equals c right and it's um and in fact one of the chapters in my book i go into a whole chapter about misidentification and that is the most common explanation for a ufo sighting up to uh, it depends on the body you know how statistics work but oh, yeah right. uh, it depends on the body that you're looking at of statistics, but you know, 85, 90% of the time you can make an identification uh, using all the tools that we have at our disposal. And so you, you kind of mention one, mention one, you know, um, there's a, a, gosh, I have several on my phone and on my computer, but you can like, there's planes live. You can, you can hold in your hand, your phone, you yeah. see something in the sky you can see the plane on the application, you know, the flight number, the type of plane, where it came from, where it's going, its altitude, its speed, its distance from you. I mean, crazy technology. It's wonderful. Right, yeah. Or Sky or Safari, which I love, man. You oh, can see uh, what all the satellites are yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Space Heavens junk. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, and, Stellarium is and, another good one. Yeah. And what, and what I like to say to people is, look, it does not mean that you lack intelligence or that you lack skill or that you're crazy or any of these other things because it's happened to me before as well is typically what happens is you're out of context for some right. reason so like maybe you're out camping and you're in a strange place and you're looking at a strange sky and you know the foreground is foreign to you and the the you know the the mountains and the the trees and and you know all that the sights the sounds the smells right. I mean you are out of your norm right. and your senses are heightened because of that right that's right. our survival mode right and you see something and it is strange and it's unknown and you you know don't have any tools to eliminate but you've got this feeling that you know is is very strange and and so you make a report there's nothing wrong with that i mean that's right. again that's kind of application of critical thinking um, but it can be difficult and even a seasoned investigator can be tricked. And I know you guys have used like, uh, you know, night vision, some good yeah. quality stuff. And, um, you look up in the sky and you train that up in there. You, you don't see a single thing moving with your naked eye. You train, uh, you know, that night vision up there and holy crap, there's a bunch of stuff up there right. and some of yeah. it's moving around like, wow. You know, and, and, um, and that's, you know, much more difficult to explain, right? Satellites right. don't go in a circle or make left-hand turns and right. Right. Know, drop, <laughs> well, drop NASCAR, two inches in your line of sight in a second. Minute, and, the NASCAR know. satellite 
just makes constantly makes left yeah, hand yeah left hand turn yeah, yeah. shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, that's funny but Josh um, isn't so, from Kentucky so I never all. mock people or I don't yeah. just you know I don't think anything ill of them you know it's with the greatest respect that I approach an investigation and a person citing and and you do want to be careful and let them down easy and and yeah. if, you know if it's something identifiable but I you know when I write up my case, I try and do it like a court case almost. Like here is my logic. Here's here's right. what here's how I came to this conclusion that it was an airplane. And then I'll go through. And I eliminated astronomical features. And I, you know, I, I eliminated, you know, aircraft and and blah blah blah. Whatever, you know, the 10 or 15, 20 things that we we eliminate. Um, and then you the, the it, you distill it and boil it down to either it's known or it's unknown you know, based right. on that process. So you have to trust in the process and rely upon it. Right. Does it mean it's a hundred percent? No, we could be wrong. In fact, every case we, we have a disclaimer that says, Hey, look, I wasn't there with you. I didn't right. see this. I can't tell you what it was or what it wasn't for a hundred percent certainty. Now, based on this evidence that your testimony right. and, and the physical evidence, photo, video, radar, you know, broken tree branches, a big skid mark in the ground, blah, 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 any of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the, the totality of that evidence um, weighed against what's known and and then you can eliminate a lot and then you're down right. to wow, you know. So that's kind of how the process works. Right. And, you, you know, you just got to trust in it because that's really the only way we have to do, um, you know, yeah. can, can identify something is really a process of elimination because frankly, your average public citizen, we don't know. <laughs> we, we don't, right. we don't have one. We don't have a, a possession of a, of an alien or anything like that. So, uh, you know, these are assumptions that we make based on, on evidence, right. but we don't know K N O W. We do not know. So, and I don't run around with a puffed up chest thumping it and saying, I know, I do quite the opposite. We don't know. Um, right. Somebody might know, but in general, I know I right. don't in the general public. So you have to yeah. approach it with that kind of sensitivity as well. Well, and, and I'll and I'll say that, you know, talking about um, the need to, you know, you mentioned um, your um, testimony, right? So mm -hmm. the, the testimony of the of the experiencer. Uh, or the, or the, uh, yeah, just we'll, we'll call it an experiencer for now. Um, whatever uh, video or camera footage you may have, uh, it's it's something to to realize and remember that the human eye, it's estimated has if if the human eye was a camera, it had 576 megapixel. It, that's the size of the camera it would be, right? The average camera that's on your cell phone is like 12 to 15 megapixels. Uh, maybe you have a DSLR and it's like maybe 20 or 25 megapixels, but it's a far way off from what the human eye can see. And so um, that being said, whatever picture or video you take is not going to catch what you see with your eye. Um, and so it's vitally important that you make notice of your surroundings. What time of day was it? Was it cloudy? Uh you know, kind of what was the temperature like? What did it kind of feel like? Did it feel like there was a cool breeze in the air? You know, so on and so forth. And provide as much of that information as possible 
either in your report or to the investigator to help them paint a picture of what where you were what was happening where you were and what you potentially saw um yep. because if it was cloudy that day um and you saw a bright light that came you know it was complete overcast but you saw a bright light track across the sky well guess what that's not a satellite it's not the international space station blah 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 so right away you can rule out a lot of things mm -hmm. by just noting that it was fully cloudy that day you know so it's just there's a lot of a lot of information to be captured by the eyewitness of the understanding that what the eye saw is better than whatever video or picture or whatever you catch can I can I show you guys an example of that? Because that's a great point. Yep. I always say that yeah. there is no camera like the human eye. So I'm going to play you a quick video. Just hold it up to the camera, and you're going to see this little white dot in the in in the sky here. So let's let's see if you can see that. Okay. Yep. You can kind yep. kind of see it. Where'd you go, little guy? Okay. This was a sighting I had from my own home. A bird flying through there. Sorry about that reflection. Okay. Well, all you see is a little white light, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and the video is not that bad. It was an iPhone 6 Plus at the time. But I also, the immediately after I saw it, I drew what I saw with the naked eye. And this is what I saw. Oh. <laughs> it was completely different than the yeah, video. Completely different. Yeah. It was a vertically stacked series of three lights. The, the center one brighter and the two and larger and the two you know above and below were a bit smaller and a bit dimmer mm -hmm. so this wasn't you know an airplane like this right right it wasn't landing right. Lights. It maybe was it was banking really hard chain <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah just doing a barrel roll yeah everybody's on their side of the plane you know yeah. <laughs> everything but, <laughs> but do you see how that illustrates yeah. that very point yeah. uh, so it you know a camera's great video's great you know, there, there's problems with them, but it's great to have. It's still evidence. Yeah. But um, I absolutely know from my own personal experience, when I interview someone and they, they're trying to explain to me what it looked like with their naked eye versus their photo or video, I'm 100% with them. Totally get it. I know there's a lot more data than that, that image shows, but that's what we got to work with yeah you know so until they invent the way for you to take your what you see in your brain and have it drawn on a screen you know and make make brain images yeah uh, until i'm still happens, waiting to record my dreams that's that's what i want that's cool uh you know speaking of that stuff and that i saw something oh what was it it was like they hooked up this uh like somebody who was i think blind i can't remember i'll have to go and see if i can find the story maybe it's a good spooky news sometime but um the gist of it was they hooked him up to like a bunch of electrodes to his brain and uh whatever he uh was thinking about a computer would draw on the screen hmm. um so like we're getting really close to being able to yeah to put that stuff out because it's all mm -hmm. at the end of the day they've pretty much mapped and say when you see this color, this part of your brain does this. And when you see that right. color and so on and so forth. So when your brain does those things, the computer can translate it into you're seeing red, you're seeing green, you're seeing, you know, whatever. But it really does stack on, though, the ability to visualize, which a lot of people have the difficulty with mm -hmm. seeing in their mind what they're thinking about. So um, 
there's still probably going to be that aspect of it. But yeah, um, let's take a let's take a quick break and uh, hear from today's sponsor, and we'll be right back. Are you fascinated by the unexplained? Do you love delving into the mysteries of the paranormal or how we respond to media that pushes us to the limit of our understanding? Do you love to dive headfirst into the exploration of the human psyche with meditations or channeled messages from beyond? Join our podcast network, Another Realm Media, and explore the unknown with us. From ghosts to aliens, cryptids to conspiracy theories, or to sci-fi, we've got it all. Don't miss out on the excitement. Join us today and unlock the secrets of the universe. Email us at contact at anotherrealmmedia.com. Perfect, man. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, and that's another announcement too, for those that didn't know. I mean, we're no longer part of the Fearscape Media Network. They've rebranded to another realm media network. Um, and so uh, pretty excited about that. So yeah, if you guys, if anybody knows you got any podcasts out there, YouTube shows that you're looking for a network or you want to start a podcast, hit us up. Yep. And it's all, you know, we, we tell people all the time, you know, we put network in the title, but it's really more about a community, right? So it's, yeah, it's more like a co-op. It's shows helping shows. So, yeah, helping each other grow and, and and get viewership, listenership, and whatever that looks like for you as a podcast. Whatever your goals are, you know, everybody wants to help each other. Out, so. All right. So, um, well, I, I, I wish really wish we would have gotten uh, well, at least some. Well, we do, Josh. I've, I would not a call in, but I've got a story that was sent to us. Okay. Um, that I wanted to read. It's a paranormal story um, that was emailed to us. Uh, so I'm going to go over that with you real quick. Okay. Okay. Yep. So let me, let me put my glasses on. Yeah. Um, so next on. yeah, this actually comes from somebody who's sharing their friend's story. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, this starts out uh, the story. It says in 2003, my friend Dwight was involved in a car crash that left him in a coma and struggling for his life. He suffered multiple broken bones, a concussion and a collapsed lung, just to name a few of his injuries. Though doctors were able to save him, Dwight spent the remaining months of that year in a vegetative state with little hope of waking. According to his family in February of 2004, the nurses observed that Dwight had developed an abrasion on his right cheek. It would have indicated that he was able to move his entire arm and scratched his own face. This gave his family hope for his recovery. Uh, over the months, the scratch on his cheek would grow bigger and even bleed at one time, though none of the nurses nor his family would ever catch him moving or figure out how he was moving. Uh, he said, my family said that that was a blessing. It was their sign of life that I wasn't giving up on life yet. But uh, I was experiencing something different. So the following is Dwight's description of his experience. He asked me to send in for him and I prefer his words anyways, as he explains them better. He says, while I was in a coma, it was like I was in a never ending nightmare. I knew I was in the hospital. I could hear my family, but everything was dark and I couldn't move. I couldn't see anything except for the thing that had a head like a doll. You know, the ones that look like babies. He had a barber's blade. Do you know what those are? Those are the ones that fold up and he would cut my face up and I could feel it peel off my skin. And then it would just keep repeating it 
every day, every minute. It never stopped. I could feel the pain and it lasted for more than a year. I thought it would never end. I thought I was in hell. Uh, my friend Dwight woke up in December of 2004, and he still says today that his memories of his year-long nightmare are still vivid to him and that he can still sometimes see the thing when he sleeps. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's those types of experiences where there's definitely what we would classify as a negative experience, right? I mean, nobody goes into that asking for that type of experience. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, we talked a lot about the MUFON ERT, um, but I really wish there was some sort of a program for all types of experiencers to get the same type of resources that a MUFON ERT offers. More than um, just the church, right? Because yeah. that's where you tend to go. Any like hauntings or possessions or yeah. entity, things like Alter that, guys, they always things like that tend is. to send you to the church. And not everyone right. believes that, and that's not going to help them. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, even, even to the extent of just having um, maybe a, um, a what's it called, a, a therapy counselor that is, open to the idea, you know, to the ideas or concepts that the person may be discussing, just having that as a, as an aid may be enough to kind of give them some direction or process through what they experienced. Um, uh, Debs uh, Shakti is a, you know, good, good friend of ours, Stefan, and been on the show a few times. Um, I was talking to her recently about um, uh, Whitley Strieber's uh, first book, Communion, um, and about how, you know, his experience that he explained in the book was just really a very negative connotation. You know, he just he just really saw it as just invasive um, and, and, and really negative. And uh, she said something that I thought was very interesting. Uh, she said at the time that Whitley uh, was writing that book, he had been doing a lot of research to write horror novels mm -hmm. and so because he had that in his mind he was in the mindset of a horror novelist when he had his experience that's how it presented itself is through that interpretation of horror um so i i don't know you know this this person and their experience they had um may not have intended to be negative Perhaps it was the state of where they were at the time or whatever. But, but bottom line, I just, you know, I think maybe having someone who's open to the ideas and concepts of the strange, paranormal, metaphysical, whatever the case may be, to talk through them about those things um, in a very open and accepting way may help them process through, uh, you know, where they were in their life when that was happening, you know, had they just had they before the accident, had they spent the entire weekend at a horror fest, you know, or, or, right. you know, had they just finished watching the grudge or, you know, just but, <laughs> like, what, right. you know, what was in their psyche at the, at the moment that they had the accident and then went into the hospital and then ended up in that kind of state. 
Um, that well, make let me let, let me further that and say, is that how the entity manifests itself is by grabbing onto those thoughts? Right. Well, and mean, so if we if we're if we're in the state where we believe you, which we do, then we can say that there was an entity there. Right. And that entity was able to take that thought because, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he saw maybe he just got back from seeing the grudge. Right. Or, right. or, or, or some scary movie with a doll head in it and, or Sweeney Todd, <laughs> yeah. since there was a bar yeah. and, and that's what it, and maybe it doesn't know that that's bad. Uh, you've told me before that my night hags, Oh, talk to them. They may not be bad. Right. But, but you also surround yourself in horror. Right. And so mm -hmm. That's when you did talk to them, right? You, you still had a negative experience because that's, you know, again, what you painted, you, you set the canvas up for them to paint the picture, but you right. tainted it a little bit by your, you know, what you went into it with. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It really makes you think about, you know, we, we've talked about it before about, you know, the first instance that Indrid cold showed up on the scene uh, in New Jersey. Um, you know, he first presented himself completely different than what he did in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I think I postulated at some point in time that he presented himself first as the monster or, or the mechanical being from the day the earth stood still in, in that kind of concept. And then he later presented himself more as the, you know, the, the, the I can't remember the character's name, but the person who speaks for the monster that Claude you know, yeah, that is trying to get humanity to change, right? He later presented himself more aligned with that aspect. And so again, that movie was strong. It had been out for a few years. It was it was very much a contact movie, you know, in, in it, the way it was designed and shaped. And so you're right, maybe they do take on the appearance of what we already have programmed in our psyche. That's why um, th there's been an increase or an uptick in, you know, the seeing little green men because the social and movies and TVs and whatever have fed that narrative of little green men. So now we have it in here, little green men. Well, and and they say like, uh, I think it was Woody's book talking about injured cold where um, he had seen the controls and they looked kind of like a television set, like uh, things, things from his time period, you know, and that, you know, again, is, is that what injured cold and those aliens used to make him better understand right. what, what systems were being used? To put to it their in terms. context, right? Mm -hmm. context. Just like a Star Trek. I mean, look at Star Trek in the 60s. Right. It still looks like the 60s, even though it's supposed to be in the future. Right. Well, right. It's that well, same it, idea. But yeah. But also that was also limiting on like what they could get a hold of for. You know, sure. But I mean, but it's <laughs> yeah. still same thing. I mean, you know, you look, yeah. you look back and and, you know, you, you even just watching. Um, what was I just watching? Star Trek three. Uh, just looking back at, at the limited technology from 84, right? That mm -hmm. that was supposed to be the future tech was <laughs> fascinating. So, Well, I think one thing is, is that you're kind of hitting on a, on a principle um, known as anthropocentrism. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's basically, uh, you know, anthropocentric means human centered. And, and right. we, 
we interpret and see everything as a human, right? And and that's I guess that's almost like sounds stupid to say, duh, yeah. <laughs> but but it makes us myopic. We interpret right. everything as a human uh, related to our human experience, right? Um, and maybe that's something that they take advantage of or are influenced by, or right. you know, some people have positive experiences and some have negative. Why? Why? Right. That's a right. great question. Why? Is it? Is it because the person uh, who who has been contacted? has negative thoughts like you guys are talking about horror yep. movies and things like that or are they you know kind of the new age in love and peace and light and right and and that's their personality and that's what they feed their mind all the time and then their experience you know is like that so yeah you know it's hard to say i mean again we don't know we don't know but right what we 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 know people are having experiences oh yeah positive and negative by interacting with some kind of non-human intelligence. I mean, yeah. that's a fact. We know that. Right. Much, so. Oh, yeah, we know that. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, uh, when, when, the, when the governments of the world, logically speaking, when the governments of the world said UFOs are real, that opened the door for everything else to be real. Right? Mm -hmm. if, one, if one is yeah. true, they all can be true. So... Mm -hmm. No more is it a case of no, there are no aliens because we know for a fact that UFOs exist. There's no disputing that anymore. <clears throat> so we know for a fact UFOs exist. Therefore, aliens could exist. Mm -hmm. Therefore, ghosts could exist. Poltergeist, mm -hmm. Bigfoot, Sasquatch, etc. All those mm -hmm. things can exist simply because we know for a fact that UFOs do exist. So because of that, we can no longer go into a situation and say, no, I don't I don't I don't accept that Sasquatch is real or I don't accept that ghosts are real or whatever the case may be, because, again, mass government societies across the world have said UFOs are real. So we have to look and approach every situation as if it has the possibility of being real. Um, and well, only through, all about the evidence. Right. And only through investigation. <laughs> And only through, you know, like only through investigation and research on the provided evidence can we say for sure if this specific incident happened or is real. But that doesn't even speak for all of the incidents that are later reported. So, yep. yeah, I'll even throw this out regarding that that concept. And it, it's just it's super, super practical. Um, the light spectrum is like, you know, let me see this this big right right here we go but <laughs> we see we see this much of it this little teeny tiny little right ugh, right so it's a proven fact that our five senses which gather data and feed to our brain so our brain can construct reality for us is limited we mm -hmm. know for a fact that it is impossible for a human being to interpret all of the realities and i'm talking subjective you know this table knock right. knock knock reality we can't even interpret it all and that applies to our hearing you know our sense of taste and touch and feel and temperature you know now with modern technology we've expanded our ability to interpret mm -hmm. that which we cannot interpret with only our 
physical senses. So to, to me, that that was an aha moment for me uh, in terms of, I, you know, my kind of philosophy now is that absolutely anything is possible until it's proven not to be. Yeah. So whether it's UFOs, it's ghosts, it's Bigfoot, any of that, you know, that's all possible because, I, you know, we cannot completely interpret our environment right next to me, right here. There could be something that my senses cannot detect. Right. And we're talking maybe dimensionality there or whatever. But yep. the bottom line is you cannot ignore that which is unseen. And it, and it, you know, we used to describe it and deal with it in a religious context, right? Religion was kind of the first science, but now we, we have more than that. We have tools, we have, uh, technology, we have knowledge that's been amassed, right? First, we, you know, mastered fire and then, and, or, you know, then, then electricity and, and, and then now splitting the atom. And, you know, this is how it works. We, we build on our knowledge and our experience and, and we, we, we move things from belief to known or proof through the scientific process. So I think, it is absolutely reasonable to say that that ghosts, Bigfoots, whatever these things are, they do exist. We right. just, you know, have just been able to interpret interpret their existence in a way that you know may produce some kind of identification if we do it right. Yep. Well, and remember, if the brain is limited, like you said, then that means the universe is limited according to the hologram brain theory. <laughs> they, they bring it back around, Stephanie. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and um, mic drop. Boom. Yeah. Um, so I, I was going to say something about um, the idea that, you know, that we there's more stuff happening around us. Um, talking about the brain, right, and it's, and it's, it's taking what it's receiving from the five senses and it's, and it's painting our picture of our reality. Um, there was a study that was done and I can't remember the name of the study or who did it, but I remember reading about it a few years ago where they, they basically put people um, in a cabin in the woods. They had no access to the internet, no electronics, you know, all that kind of stuff. They basically deprived them of, uh, all these kind of constant stimulant things that are going on on an everyday basis in this world. Um, and over the course of a week, as they became to kind of like detox, if you will, from that constant bombardment of uh, interaction with all these different things, they started picking up and noticing things in their environment that they previously were just oblivious to, uh, you know, sounds in the woods, uh, wind blowing through a window, things like that, that when they first arrived there and lost their smartphones and all that kind of stuff, they didn't really notice or pick up on those things. But the more they removed that stuff from their world and really became desensitized to it, the more they started to pick up on other aspects of the natural world. And it really makes you think if, you know, ancient humans did see these things which is where our stories of fairies and gnomes and elves and all this kind of stuff comes from because we didn't have the constant electronic stimuli that's constantly feeding our brains with all this other stuff today not even that i mean think of like planes and cars how much yeah. and the lights of the world 
uh, imagine just what they saw mm -hmm. 300, 200 years ago, yeah. uh, what the sky looked like, you know? Yeah, I like that theory. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what I'm hearing is that the three of us are going to go to a wigwam um, <laughs> and for a week in like page or for something. a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stefan, you can get away, right? Come back with a full Shane beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but by the way, Shane, we had a person ask in the chat, uh, how long did it take you to grow the beard? Oh, uh, about a year. And I just wow. left it alone. But that was the hardest part, right? Because you want to trim it. You want to. Yeah. But yeah. I was told, don't just leave it alone. And and then after a year, I got it shaped a little. And yeah, about every yeah. Three months, I'll trim a little, but that's it. Every every yeah. month, you every month you washed it with Rogaine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this, you know, I I've always worn like a very close cropped beard, and I had no idea I could do this. And this is kind of a product of COVID, right? Staying yeah. home, right? And grew it out. But once I grew it out, I was I I was like, well, I didn't even know I could. And then now that I can, I kind of feel obligated to keep it because <laughs> it, it took so much time and effort yeah. and stuff and. And, and, you know, not everyone can do it. So, you know, why not ride with it? I'm fat yeah. and bald anyway, so who cares? Right? Yeah, and Josh, that wasn't just anybody asking. That was Jason Gillamet from the UAP Studies podcast asking oh, that. Oh, it was Jason? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know Jason. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, my dad uh, grows a beard similar to that length uh, every year around the wintertime. Uh -huh. And uh, my kids during that time call him Santa. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I get that all the time. Uh, some some lady actually asked me the other day, am I on the naughty list or the nice list? <laughs> <laughs> like, Check, please. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I'm not even answering that one. I'll be in trouble <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> um, Josh, I wanted to bring up, I know you had said, you know, um, ways that people can contact us if they want to be, you know, let us know about their stories, um, that you could actually come on our show during the live feed, you know, we can send you a link, uh, yeah. so that you can show up on video with us and share your story. That is one way that you can do that. How can they do that? Yep. So all they have to do is message us, uh, before or even during a live stream and, uh, I can give them the link, uh, and they can just, and then, the way that it works is you, it's it's uh, through a program called StreamYard. You just have to have uh, web access on a device, phone, computer, tablet, whatever the case may be, and then you can come in. And you know, you know actually could put you into like a, a waiting room, so to speak. I'll see you come in. Uh, I'll shoot you a quick chat just to say, hey, what's going on? What's your name? You know, what do you got to talk about? And then uh, I'll I'll add you into the feed, and then you can talk about your experiences. Um, you know, if you're comfortable with it, at let us ask a couple of questions. Like Shane said, we're not here to judge. Uh, we just want to understand, you know, kind of, again, how this has affected you, how it impacted you, and looking at the idea that sometimes these things happen to us. I think, uh, at least for me, I can only speak for me, but for me, it, it helped me, it helped put me back on a path that I had fallen off of. And, it, and so it really served as like a like a bumper on a, on a bowling lane, right? So my, I was bouncing all over the place, but this kind of helped bump me back on track. So now I'm on track to get a strike, although I never get a strike. So it's probably like every pin <laughs> except for the number nine pin or something. So, yeah. Oh, you don't ever get a strike? Do you want to go bowling? I do want to go bowling, but I don't. I love Put some bowling. money on it. 
I do too. <laughs> Put some money. Are you, you going to bet against me getting a strike? Is that what you're saying? And yeah. if I get a strike, I have to pay you. Yeah. Okay. I'll do whatever to make some money off of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, but yeah, message us if if you want to drop us a line for your story that way. Uh, email us. Um, we you, while we're doing the live stream, messages there on the live stream, whatever you want to do. But that's the that's the real focus for this season is we want to understand from you, the experiencers, not just. Oh, looks like we lost Josh. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we've lost Josh there. Oh, there he is. Sorry, I was, I'm glad it didn't end the broadcast because I actually. Uh, yeah. Me. So I hit, hit my side my side mouse button instead of the. I need to take my hand off my. I mouse. think Shane and I were both like, "Are we still live?" <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it says we're still live. So yay, yep. live yay. broadcasting hiccups. Um, what I was gonna say is that you know just understand where you guys are, and and for me it was that guidepost. They help put me back on track. And it seems like every time I start to kind of sway or wander away from the path that I'm supposed to be on, little things pop up again. It, it's never been like it was for, you know, that thing that Stefan and I saw. We've talked about so many times in my backyard three and a half years ago. But it's little things that kind of just present themselves to let me know that, hey, you know, you're kind of wandering off again. Let's go ahead and bump you back on the path you're supposed to be on. Anyways, uh, so yeah, we'd love to hear about it, and you can be on here with a guest. It, it won't always be Shane, but we'll have other guests, or it might just be me and Stefan. And, um, but the idea is to share with other people so that they know that they're not alone, and you get an opportunity to talk about something that may be near and dear to you. So, yeah. Cool. Stefan? Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, you know, you can uh, also uh message us on social media uh we're on facebook twitter instagram those places are uh at tc or no what is at it the at the c, c enigma enigma that's right at the c enigma. it's not a dirty thing we just convergence was too long <laughs> it was way too long <laughs> cool man well josh i think it's so, about time yeah. we should probably get out of here if you're Yep, uh, I think so too. Uh, thank you, everybody, for I've seen a couple of people pop in here and there uh, for the live stream. I hope that that audience grows as we continue to do this this season. Um, the cadence is going to be a little different. Uh, we are going to do these once a month. Uh, you know, Stefan with being a new dad and me with being a new resident to Arizona, we're just full of all kinds of exciting things outside of podcasting. And so uh, we're going to limit it down to once a month for now. Um, that may change in the future, but for right now, I want to set that expectation. Um, and uh, if you like the show, please share it. Uh, it's both on YouTube and on Facebook. Uh, share it with anybody. Uh, like it on those platforms if you have the opportunity. Yep. Or the uh, or the podcast versions as well. Or the podcast version as well. And drop a comment. You know, Even on the podcast version, there's probably a comment section, an inter interaction section for you to let us know what you think of the new format. Um, and also, you know, what were your thoughts on what we talked about here today? So, um, but anyways, thank you again uh, for everybody who tuned in. And um, thanks, thanks Josh. to Shane Hurd, man. Yeah. 
Thank you, Shane. Oh, I did want to give Shane another opportunity. Shane, do you want to let anybody know about where they can go to submit uh, sighting or? Um... Sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you if you have a report of a sighting or if you've had an experience that you want uh, ERT help on, you can just go to MUFON.com and there's a tab that says report a UFO, another tab that says, you know, report an experience and uh, we'll put you in the right queue. And generally it goes through a triage process at our headquarters and then it gets assigned to the appropriate uh, uh, location, chapter and investigator. And uh, we respond within either 24, 48 or 72 hours, depending on uh, the complexity of the case. So, right. you know, a hot one will get get on it in 24 hours um, and that kind of thing. So but we, we're very happy to do that. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate people's willingness to, you know, kind of overcome the fear Mm -hmm. And uh, the fear of ridicule and all those things, because think about it. You make a report, you become a part of world history. I mean, MUFON has reports from 1969, right? Uh, we, yep. Hundreds of thousands of cases. Your case becomes part of the historical record, which I just right. find that's really cool. You know, 100 years from now, people studying this, that they, they somebody may go, wow, this is a cool case. And you know, glad to hear it. And, you know, we use this data. Yeah. yeah when my, in my, when my, uh, when my great, great grandkids are taking history of ufology in high school, you know, they're going to get to yeah. see all these cases that were reported by the MUFON organization at the time. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that, yeah. that would be so cool. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I want to remind people, pick up Shane's book, Unidentified aerial phenomenon. Shane Hurd. You guys can go on Amazon, or, or is there anybody anywhere else they can go to get this, or just Amazon? That's Shane? it. Just go right to Amazon. Put in my name or the name of the book. I'll take you right there. I think it's fourteen ninety five for the uh, paperback and five bucks for the uh, Kindle version. And uh, you know, I appreciate it. And again, I, I wrote the book. Book's not about money, anything like that. It's really just about um, putting what I learned down on paper. Uh, for posterity. But the main thing I wrote it for was because of what happened in 2017 and the, uh, with the TTSA, the release mm -hmm. of the videos and, and which led to really the, the lifting of the taboo people. I, I, I made the assumption there would be a lot of people now expressing interest that didn't before. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm hoping it's younger people and, and et cetera. Same. Um, and everyone, of course, but I wrote the book to help, people understand the that don't have the the breadth and width of experience with ufology to understand these are the important issues and also to equip them to um you know not waste a bunch of time going down different rabbit holes look this right. this is what's important you know this is what uap is this is what misidentification is this is what hoaxes are this is the wheat and chaff of of information right. good stuff and bad stuff and the cover-up and classic cases and all these things that will equip a person uh who's who's new at it to really get dialed in quick on what's really important and then i always say ufos it's like a great big buffet it's too big for to to focus on everything right right have prop circles and consciousness yep. and nuts and bolts and you you know all these things right 
And what I learned right up quick when I started was just pick a lane, Shane, pick a lane that suits you. <laughs> you know, you can be good at one thing or two or three or four things, but you're not going to be good at, you know, 15 things. So don't, right. don't even do that to yourself or others. Yeah. And so that, that was really the goal. And I, I hope that it's, you know, an easy read. It's written like, I'm just talking to you here. It is. Oh yeah. Okay, it's, cool. it's a great read. Yeah. Oh, good. And uh, you know, it's really to help people that, that that's it. So, um, you know, I'm very pleased and thank you for bringing it up. Uh, not necessary, but, uh, I, I hope that, you know, somebody that's interested will, you know, have a good experience with it. Well, and along yeah. that line, you know, when I was talking about earlier about <clears throat> taking, if, if you wanted to, you see something and you want to make a report that you're pretty sure is not going to get rejected, read Shane's book. Right. And then you'll know what to look for, what to rule out, what information to gather, so on and so forth. So when you do make that report, it's more than just, you know, going to get thrown out or, you know, circumstantial or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, yep. there you go. Go read and, be and a if you like Shane's face like we do. And you like his silhouette even more, you can pick up one of the shirts we created for him, the Have You Heard shirts with his yeah. silhouette on there. Yeah. Uh, Josh, <laughs> where can so they pick sweet. one of those up? Yep. If they go to our website, theconvergenceenigma.com, and click on the store link, it takes you to our T Public site, and that's where the shirt is located. So, yep. yeah. It's Thanks awesome. For that. It is awesome. <laughs> Very creative of you guys, no, no doubt about it awesome yeah get it get it so you can wear it at the mufon symposium this year right. yeah. <laughs> everybody in the audience needs to have one on i at christmas <laughs> i got one for everyone in my family so <laughs> you know, periodically they're walking around and you know even my granddaughters are 12 13 14 years old have you heard and you know people like, at the store like what is that it's, it's, a, it's a great conversation starter yeah, yeah. yes and yeah. we love it we, we, we had fun with that but yeah, yeah thank you shane again thank you so much for coming on man and we will always have you back on the show awesome thanks so much guys absolute pleasure love it. all right so josh this has been the convergence and thinking with josh and stefan let's go ahead and get out of here my friend yep so this is josh the truth is now this has been Stefan. Keep your eyes to the skies, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody.